Arts Mid North Coast acknowledge the Waramai, Biripai, Dungadi, and Gumbangi people, the traditional custodians of the lands on which we live and work in, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. The Art Remedy Podcast, brought to you by Arts Mid North Coast. This episode of The Art Remedy will be taking a bit of a flashback to March 2020, when the pandemic first hit our shores and our world went into lockdown. When I think back to that time, there was a feeling of great distress within the arts community, with events, tours, exhibitions and programs suddenly cancelled and venues closed. These anxieties still continue today as we grapple with new strains of the virus, more lockdowns, limited venue capacities and further cancellations of events. The Australia Institute's Centre for Future Work recently released the report Creativity in Crisis, revealing the ongoing devastating impact of COVID-19 on our arts and entertainment sector. The statistics are grim. More people work in broad cultural industries, over 350,000 than many other areas of the economy that are receiving greater policy support. Total employment declined by 18% between February and May in 2020. 53% of businesses in the sector had ceased operating at April 2020. $24 billion in lost output and 80,000 jobs were lost after COVID hit. Yet, as the report also rightly states, Australians have turned to the arts in this time of need. During the pandemic, nearly three quarters of Australians sought out artistic and cultural goods to improve their mood and quality of life. The very same sector impacted the most by the shutdowns is also responsible for helping make our lives more bearable during these times. When the first restrictions came into place, Many artists took their work online to remain connected with their communities. Our Isolation Creation series on our website documented many of these projects, one of which was the Together Apart postcard project. In the first part of this podcast episode, I chat with the instigator of this project, artist Jess Miller. I also chat with Taryn Preston from Warina Domestic and Family Violence Services about their involvement in the project. A note to our listeners, this segment contains some general discussion around mental health and domestic and family violence. So my name's Jess Miller. I own and run the art department. We do art classes and workshops regularly and also on a casual basis as well. It was around that March period, I think, COVID started um, kind of popping up here and there, different cases, um, and I got sick myself and my kids got sick just with the flu, and so I had to start cancelling classes and then it became apparent that it was probably um, a bit much for me to take on, um, so I cancelled classes for that term. I really dearly love and value the people that would come, like so the kids and the old, also the adult classes that would come regularly, weekly. So initially it was a bit of an idea to try to keep everyone still connected, still creating art um, so that we can look at each other's work and um, view it on 
I guess, a social media or online sort of platform. The idea just sort of popped into my head that postcards would be a really nice way of communicating and they always had been in um, previous times and we don't really do them very often. The project essentially was um, people could buy a pack and I would send them um, pre-addressed and stamped postcards that they could send to friends. So they got five, they could send to friends and one was addressed back to us so that we could run an exhibition at the end. And one in five of those standard packs was donated to Arena Women's Services. I guess one of the things that was really apparent to me when everyone saw, everything started being locked down is that I was really feeling about for, was really feeling for vulnerable people and women in particular that would be stuck at home in, um, in not safe circumstances. So I'm Taryn Preston, um, I'm Operations Manager at Warina Domestic and Family Violence Specialist Service. So my role is to support the delivery of um, a number of our programs, so from um, women and children fleeing um, violent homes in crisis, um, also supporting women to stay safe at home when the user of violence has left. And the other service that we do provide is um, support for men who use violence in their relationships who would like to find ways to be safe for men. For people working in the domestic and family violence sector, uh, COVID-19 uh, was the worst case scenario for us. You couldn't design a way to make a, a situation that was already really difficult um, much, much worse. What we experienced was lots of people um, being trapped in unsafe homes and a lot more barriers in place to being able to leave because the user of violence was also at home. It was a stressful time for community in general uh, and so anxiety levels um, across the board were up. So for the women and children that we work with um, who have coming, coming from a background of trauma, they're also uh, grappling with, I guess, a, a compounding effect of having experienced um, domestic and family violence, but then also um, experiencing the impact of the pandemic. And particularly children, we noticed, were really struggling with those with, with that stuff. Look, I've got three kids under school age, um, so it's very chaotic at my household. So initially it was coping quite well, and then um, obviously, you know, having kids in, that can't leave the house is challenging. Um, but you know, I'm one of the people who has it best in the world. So um, it really did break my heart that so many families would have been really not coping at all. Because it was such a, a scary and uncertain um, time, what we found was that the art packs um, provided a little bit of lightness and joy. I, I guess for me it'll probably be a, a big memory when I think back of coronavirus and the lockdowns um, of coming in to the refuge and having a lot, I guess, of from an organisational perspective, a lot of worry and concern. But then walking in and seeing um, particularly the children and, and their mums sitting down together and creating, um, you could just feel that shift of energy. Um, so they had some escape from all of that worry that they had from the pandemic, but also the situation that they were facing where they were needing to be in hiding because of, because of the violence and the risk. I think art it's a real equaliser um, that whenever there's someone whose heart needs to create or soul needs to create, they're given that opportunity. There's um, those barriers disappear and those um, other um, vulnerabilities or risks that they've experiencing, they can all kind of just set to the side for a second. And it's a way, I guess, it seemed to be a way that people could connect. I think art has always helped me with my own mental health and not necessarily just sitting down and creating something but I think the part that I really enjoy as well is creating 
projects. I think that's the teacher in me. I really like creating situations in which people can thrive or excel or surprise themselves with the art that they can create. What I try to do is encourage people to create art all the time and I often don't get a chance to do that myself because of running the business. But when I do get to sit down and do that, um, it really is, you know, I'm looking more into the science behind it, but just really shifting from that left brain to right brain where you aren't actually thinking you get in that kind of little, that space where you're just sitting in the moment. Um, you don't, even if there are distractions, try to ignore them. And it's the process just as much as the final outcome when you're creating. And that's what, that's what I was trying to encourage people to do, particularly with this project as well. In the next half of this episode, I caught up with musician Pam Harder about her experience during the first lockdown restrictions. Many musicians like Pam, who lost their scheduled gigs, took to live streaming their performances online and finding different ways of making an income. I also asked whether she was able to access any support during this difficult period and how the shutdowns have affected musicians like herself. My name's Pam Harder. I am a career musician and I run showcases along the east coast of Australia. All ages, all genres, with a real focus on um, grassroots music and musicians. So making sure that um, a showcase is presented professionally in every facet. So behind the scenes, the sound people, the venue itself, the hosting, the promotion, um, and then just making sure that all of our musicians are meeting like the minimum standard rate, the pay rate as well. Well, the normal was doing three to five shows a week and that could be band or solo. And then on top of that, I'd run up to three showcases with original sound lounge um, for other artists to take the stages and develop our touring acts and our locals with them. Um, so it was always really full on. I barely had time to breathe. I was sort of like, in and out of stages and in and out of cars. It was fun though and, and it was profitable. <laughs> like we could eat. It was okay to be a musician and live off it. <laughs> and then March came and I remember it really well. There was slight panic. Can you um, share with us what it was like for you? Oh, well, it was my birthday, <laughs> so uh, it was sad. Um, I sort of we had to stay home. I remember I I was actually on my way out to a show. I knew that there was some stuff going on and that places were cancelling shows and things. It's just never been something that happens to me. So <laughs> so I just packed my stuff and I'm like, well, come hell or high water, we show up. That's part of your professionalism as a musician. You show up, you be reliable. So I packed everything and I got, just as I got to the front door, my phone rang and they cancelled the show and I'm like, ah, well, that's, that's sad. And then, and then I looked at the rest of it. I was like, what am I going to do now? I looked at all my Facebook messages and they all started cancelling all at once. I turned on the news and I was like, oh, okay, so that happened. Well, I'm just going to set up a stage in my lounge room, I guess, and play for people who are feeling kind of crappy right now. So I did that just thinking that it was going to go to like my Facebook friends. And at first it was. It was a wonderful laugh. And I, and I just fumbled my way through, like, PayPal donations and how to post that 
um, with my life. And I, I had a ball. It was really fun. And I think I made about $300 <laughs> off an impromptu, like, go live in my lounge room. My kids ran through the viewing and so did the dogs. It was chaos. Um, but it was real and it was fun. I've done a live stream before when I'm speaking to people about promotions of a show, um, which is not uncommon to do, but I've never sort of sat up and and played to a tiny screen and stopped in and realised that people were speaking to me through comments and, you know, figuring out how to dance through that, how to do, how to interact with an online crowd and how to um, keep your headspace in the space of, hey, I'm doing a show, this is a performance, um, and not not in the I'm in my lounge room and my kids are running around with their dogs <laughs> just behind the tiny screen. Yeah, yeah, it was tough. It was really difficult. Yeah, you're doing it from a personal space. Your private life is on show as well. And I've, I'd, never, I'd never shared that in my career before. Like I'd always endeavoured to keep my children and my family very separate from gig life, um, just for safety reasons. Um, but when you're already in your safe space, I guess, I don't know, you know how you suit up, say if I worked in an office, I would dress up in my office attire, I'd go to work and now I'm at work and your headspace goes to that same space. But you can't do that when you're sort of having to set up your show in your house and my family as well had never seen me perform they'd never seen Pam Hutter the character so it it was very new for us all. What was the initial reaction that you got from live streaming from your your home? Oh people loved it they were like what is this wow I never get to go to your shows you're always so busy or you're like traveling around and I can't see you anymore they were really really appreciative and it, it just you know, for a second, I kind of forgot that the pandemic was happening and my birthday was ruined. and <laughs> Like it was kind of like having everybody there. So it was really nice. And I think off the back of that, I decided I was like, yeah, hey, this is a good thing. So way to go. And I saw that that it was, you know, like you said, you're learning as you went along. Um, were you able to get any support? No, we were not eligible um, for anything other than the normal, like as a citizen, um, what, yeah, what the government just, you know, went, oh, hey, here's a disaster, have have this. <laughs> other than that, no, no, I couldn't, I couldn't access any extra support, mainly because I'm a New Zealander um, and, yeah, unless I decided to go dual citizenship or become an Australian citizen. Um, there was actually nothing else I could do. Although I did, I was telling all of my colleagues that I work with here in Australia who are citizens, hey, this is available for you, this is what you can do. Unfortunately, they too were finding that they were falling through the cracks, like they weren't, yeah, they weren't eligible for it. I think that is actually still the case for most of us. And in fact, now it's worse because now it's like, hey, have you made 75000 as a sole trader? Then you can have this. Most musos don't. We run at a loss. Yeah, and that's how we work. Like you might pay your taxes um, maybe once every two years or once every three to five if you've got a really good accountant. Um, yeah, but generally speaking, we don't have 
when you when you play a show, it's not like you're contracted or you're a casual worker to that venue because you're at loads of venues. I was at like 120 venues. When COVID hit, it would have been impossible for me to fill out all the paperwork that they needed or to expect my venues to fill out all the paperwork for me every time I played a show there. It just wasn't very realistic. Hopefully they'll get around that though. Yeah, and now it looks like things are closing down again. So it probably will be like that for a little while. So it's definitely a time to start looking at these different avenues and different ways of still reaching your audience and also being able to get some kind of income as well. And the live streaming that you did, there was, I saw that there was an ability for people to chip in through PayPal. Did you kind of just pull that together? Or was that already like a model that had been working before? Um, well, we already had the structure of original sound lounge. So the, the professional standard that we expect of a showcase, we streamlined it and we made that our standard for the past four years running so everybody who plays original sound lounge knows what the go is we know that it's um either a solo or a double header it's hosted we know the minimum rates are 100 an hour with breaks with a rider um and that the crowd is avid and they're there for the music you're not just next to the pokey machines in the corner making noises uh, and that it really makes a difference so when it came to the live streaming, it was so easy for us to take that structure and just transition it online and just think of the online space as our own venue that we owned now. Um, so it did, it made it a lot easier. And the PayPal thing, we used to have, um, we had like buckets on tables at our boutique venues and we did shows. So you get paid your minimum rate. And then people could also donate if they wished um, into the buckets. And we tried that for a while to see how that went. And it worked in some venues and it didn't work in others. But obviously not having a physical audience um, or a venue paying you to do a live show, that it became a necessity to do the online live streams that way. Um, and PayPal, PayPal was just something that that was the only thing that I knew about at the time. Um, and I was like, yep, this is the easiest thing. This is the thing that most people use. I'm happy to take donations because I'm not going to charge people. I w- didn't even know how to charge people for a live stream that everyone can access. You know, there just was no previous example. So it was really a, like an honesty system. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, if you appreciate it, can you guys, you know, give us what you feel is appropriate. And because the audience reach was a lot larger than what a normal venue is, that worked out really well. And in the end, I'm, I feel like most musicians who hit us up to play our live streams were actually after the audience reach more than anything. So, they, yeah, they grew their fan base that way. Like they have their own following. But we had four years' worth of an entire coast of people who knew our structure, knew our artists and liked it already. And so they were there. They're in lockdown too and they still want to go to shows and that's what we could offer them. They were grateful for that. So it was good. Yeah. So that's, that's, I mean, you know, out of a negative, that's a really positive thing. Oh, we never would have done it 
yeah, we never would have looked down that track were it not for COVID. It was a real blessing in disguise. Yeah. And so this is now part of hopefully soon out of COVID. Will this be a regular part of your performance life, a live stream? Having a live stream to fall back on. I think given the right platform, absolutely. Um, over the last year, now that everybody's caught up with the situation, it's good and it's bad. There's like there's extra fees when it comes to doing live streams. Only original artists can give it a go and even then there's still issues with um, if you've registered a song, you have to buy the rights to your music back to be able to play it on an open live stream everywhere, um, which can be a bit of an issue. Um, Also, you're restricted to your audience and the way that you can take donations or get paid online has changed substantially. They really want to focus on the quality being there. So working with a professional studio with cameras and stuff that can live stream that works and they want to ticket the event that way. Unfortunately, it does cut out the, you know, I'm in my bedroom. How do I go from my bedroom to a stage with lockdown being rampant? There's still that little niche there, that little hole that we need to bridge the gap. And it's really crucial for people's development because not everybody's going to be a YouTube sensation. Not everybody's going to be, you know, Facebook's next trend. Um, and in the same token, though, I see why they did that because we did for a little while, once everybody caught on to the live stream train, we might remember, there were loads of it everywhere and it wasn't, it wasn't always good. <laughs> That's also why we started the um, professional talks. We wanted as a music community to have a standard the same way that we did in real life to have a professional standard of what live streaming a performance was going to be and what we were going to push. So do you have a press kit? Do you understand how to tag your relevant audience? Do you know how to share to your relevant audience? Um, Have you got a means of payment? Do you know how to work your donations platform? How are you going to monetize the things that you do so that as an artist or a performer, you can still get paid your worth? with what you have and the next step would have been to find platforms that are willing to pay artists like paid live performances and we sort of stopped at that point because at that point they started opening venues again or they said they were opening venues but they kind of didn't they like they were like yeah restrictions are lifting but all these extra things in place it's not as free as it was i'm actually focusing on recording and writing now that we've had a proper look at you know what COVID is and how how long it can affect us for every time there's an outbreak we've we know that now and so we can better prepare to produce and be writing and budget for what we can release and how we can release it um so that's what I'm focusing on now like merch merch packages um boutique shows for sure which is something i'm really grateful for original sound arch having um available to artists who can then launch their covid renaissance i guess to crowds in a controlled and safe way um and that's probably the best we can do for now until i until i sit down and have a massive think and come up with something new 
You've been listening to the Art Remedy podcast by Arts Mid North Coast. Thank you to our guests on this episode, Jess Miller, Taryn Preston and Pam Harder. If you or anyone you know are in need of crisis assistance during these COVID lockdowns, Support Act's Wellbeing Helpline is a free confidential phone counselling service available 24-7 to anyone anywhere in Australia who works in music, the performing arts or other creative industries. Their number is 1800 959 500 or you can visit their website at supportact.org.au.